take your Bibles and have them in Acts 13 as we continue our study of the book of Acts. One of the things that Acts does for us, uh, it certainly gives us a picture of what the early church did and what, uh, what the Holy Spirit did through believers to continue the works of Jesus on the earth now that Jesus has been ascended. It certainly does that. But I think it also, in many ways, provides a model for what the church ought to be focused on. And in this text, we're going to see, in in a very real sense, how does the church, how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, serve a broken world in the power of the Holy Spirit who's given us the power to do this work. We're going to see four lessons. Again, this is exactly what happened in the early church, but I think it serves as a model for us. Let's look at the first lesson. First lesson is this. The Holy Spirit is calling diverse people together in this new community called the church. In other words, the the Spirit of God is calling diverse people together to form this new community of faith, the church. Let's take a look at the text, Acts 13, 1. It says, now they're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Remember, Antioch is the third largest city in the, in the Roman Empire at the time. It's a very diverse group of people, not only eth- eth- in terms of ethnicity, but in terms of socioeconomic status. There's a, there's a plethora of gods and temples and goddesses that were being worshipped here. There was a sizable population of Jews as well. It's a port city. Uh, Massive numbers of slaves undoubtedly lived in Antioch. And this church now is being led, as Luke describes to us, by five different people. And he describes who they are. I don't think that's by accident. (coughs) I think Luke is giving us a picture of this multi-ethnic leadership team that's leading this vibrant church in Antioch. Now notice the five men. First is Barnabas. Barnabas, we know, is, a, uh, is Jewish. He's, he's a Hellenized Jew, and that he speaks uh, Greek. He's from the island of Cyprus. He's there. And then they have Simeon, who was called Niger. Uh, this is clearly referring to a Simeon who is a Gentile, almost uh, assuredly, probably from Africa, and certainly would have been a person of color, also in leadership along with Barnabas. Then you have Lucius of Cyrene, another African, probably from the area we know now as Libya, who's also providing leadership there. And then you have Menaean, who's a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Now that term there, a member of the court of Herod, refers to the fact that Menaean, in all likelihood, grew up with Herod Antipas in the court. He was, uh, you know, maybe sort of adopted into that family, but grew up with him. So he certainly was a person of privilege. He's a person who grew up with Herod Antipas, this uh, very violent king of of the Palestine. But there he is, also providing leadership. And then there was Saul. We will know him as Paul, but he's mentioned as Saul here. His name sort of becomes Paul more definitively later on in this chapter. But of course, Saul was Jewish. He was from Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He grew up under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the greatest uh, scholars of the day. 
And of course, not too long before this, Saul was persecuting believers and followers of Jesus Christ. It was on his way to Damascus where he had letters allowing him to imprison the followers of Jesus where he met the ascended Jesus. On the road to Damascus, he's been radically changed. And this forms the leadership of this growing church in Antioch, this multi-ethnic church, and the leadership itself reflects the multi-ethnic features of the city of Antioch. And it's these five individuals who are providing leadership for the church here in Antioch. And I don't think those details are given to us just to provide, uh, you know, some more color, so to speak, for the narrative. I think what you're seeing here is God is fulfilling his plan to bring all people to himself. It was Jesus himself who who told the early disciples that you are going to be witnesses when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. It was the Abrahamic covenant given to Abraham that said, through you, Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. And now Luke is describing very early in the life of the church that the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers following the resurrected Jesus, following the ascended Jesus, is not some, some offbeat sect inside of Judaism. It is, a, it is a multi-ethnic, multinational, where people from all over the world, so to speak, who found themselves in Antioch, are now coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And this movement is not specifically with, for one ethnicity, it's for all people. And in a very real sense, what I think you're seeing in the book of Acts is, is a foretaste of where God in Jesus is taking the world. Take a look at Revelation 5. Let's go to the end of the last book of the New Testament, Revelation 5, giving a picture of the future. John, the Apostle John, who writes uh, the revelation he receives from God himself, he's writing about this future picture of what it's going to look like when God's people are worshiping the Lamb, Jesus Christ, In verse 9 and 10, it says this, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our good God, and they shall reign on the earth. Go back to Acts 13. What you're seeing here is in allowing the Spirit of God to use them to preach the gospel to all people. God is beginning in the church of Jesus Christ, in this group of believers, he's beginning to unite all things in heaven and earth in this new community of believers. It's a foretaste of his ultimate plan to redeem the world and to redeem people from every tribe, people group, language, together in one body, worshiping that lamb. Are you looking forward to that? Sort of. Yeah, amen. Yeah, really? Okay. The lesson, I think, for us is this is the task of 
every church. Now, not, a, not every place and not every community is, 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 is particularly diverse. There's places all over the world, there's kind of one kind of people, fine. You're supposed to minister to the people in your community. But we know from the mandate that Jesus gives his disciples, we know from the future picture of what is going to be like when, when all people groups are united together around Jesus Christ, that that is supposed to be happening in every local church, ministering effectively to the diverse community that it finds itself in to see that the, the redemption and the, the reunification of all people around Jesus Christ. That's significant. And the four tragedies I mentioned, and there were four of them, hundreds of tragedies. You know, three of the four tragedies I mentioned at the beginning of this worship service were all racially motivated. And what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be as a picture of diverse people coming together, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi in terms of socioeconomic diversity, coming together to show the world that there's only one person who can unite the world, and it's Jesus Christ, the ascended Christ, the Lord of the universe. And I think we vastly underestimate the glory that is, 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 is displayed and the, the, the reputation of Christ that's deepened when a group of diverse people come together and find massive amounts of unity in spite of their differences because of Jesus Christ. I had some uh, extended family visit the church. This is pre-COVID. They came and visited Stone Hill. We went out to lunch. I happened to be preaching that day and I was trying to ask them what did they think of the church that they service that they had just seen I was kind of hoping that they were going to comment on the, the incredible preaching that they had heard they didn't talk about that I haven't spoken to them in three years no it's <laughs> not true the main thing they mentioned is they said, what we shocked us a little bit is just how diverse you were as a group. Not simply ethnicity, although that was palpable for them. But they told me of these conversations they had out there in that atrium where they were talking to some people who were professors at the university... And then at other times, they were talking to people who had just arrived in the United States for someone else who were trying to work themselves up from a fairly low socioeconomic class. That's what got their attention. And in this polarized world, world that we live in, where racism and violence is pervasive, in our country in particular, simply being together with a diverse group of people in all kinds of ways, socioeconomic, education, ethnicity, multi-generational, but unified in that diversity because of Jesus plus nothing else is a massive testimony to the reality of the power of the gospel and the reality of Jesus Christ. And we would do well to intentionally 
live that out in a more comprehensive and deep way here at Stonehill. That's the first lesson. There's a second lesson. The second lesson we learned from the story of the early church is that worship and fasting is the context for the Holy Spirit to lead the church to accomplish its mission to take the gospel to the world. I know that's a long sentence and some of you are scrambling to write it. Most of you aren't. I know that Jamie's not taking notes. I'm sorry. You need to sit amongst people. I won't see you so clearly anyway. Worship and fasting is the context for the Holy Spirit guiding the church and leading the church to accomplish its mission to take the gospel to the world. Notice what happens here. Now, there were in the church at Antioch these prophets and teachers. In some sense, I think it means that all five of these men are the prophets and teachers in the church. And then verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting is the context for the Spirit of God to guide the church, not simply the five leaders. I think he guided the whole church. It's not simply he guided the five leaders. I think it's talking about the whole church here. Guided them to set apart Barnabas and Saul to do the work that he had given them, which was to take the gospel to the world. And then in verse 3 it goes on. Then after fasting and praying, they had laid their hands on them and sent them off. It is interesting that the context to understand how am I to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Who am I to be a witness of Jesus Christ to? Where am I to be a witness to Jesus Christ? All of that in the church is discovered in a context where worshiping Christ, worshiping God, and fasting and praying is the context for the Lord, the Spirit, to give direction to the mission that he is going to empower them to do. And I guess my concern for all of us, my concern for myself, is how often do we set out on ministry and there's been very little worship, there's been very little prayer, there's been very little fasting. Some of us are overconfident in our own ability to discern things. And we haven't taken enough time in our individual life, but also in the corporate life. Every ministry team in this church, the elders, the deacons, all of us, whatever ministry you're involved with, and us individually, prayer, fasting, worship is the context for the Spirit to help you understand who and where you should be witnesses of Jesus to. I think too often, because we're not allowing the Spirit of God through fasting, through prayer, through worship to guide and direct us, we don't understand who and where we should live out the mandate that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, Acts 1.8 says you will receive power in order to be witnesses, but in this context it's saying it's the Spirit himself as you worship and pray and fast who will guide you to actually know where to be the witnesses of Jesus. So I would encourage all of us 
whether you're an individual, whether you're on a ministry team, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, all of the different ways, we need to be spending time seeking God's direction to where we need to fulfill the mandate that Christ has given us. He's promised to empower us by the Holy Spirit, but he also, from this text, promises in some sense, as we see the model of the Church of Antioch, to give us wisdom and guidance to exactly where we ought to go and who we should share with and who we should connect with. I think for a number of us, we would do well even this week to set aside some time to worship, prayer, maybe even fast, and seek God's direction on how God wants us individually to fulfill the mandate of Acts 1-8. There's a third lesson. And that is the church in Antioch partners together to send people to share Jesus to the world. The church partners together to send people to share Jesus to the world. Notice what happens here. I think when it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, I think it's talking certainly about the five leaders of the church, but I think it's larger than that. It's talking about the whole community of believers. And then the Spirit, we're not told how, but he guides them to set apart from for me, Barnabas and, and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. When they lay their hands on uh, Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, this is not an ordination service, okay? I think they're commissioning them to the work that the Spirit has guided the church to send them off on. It's commissioning them to go beyond the, the city of Antioch to take the gospel to the world. And what's interesting, if you go back to Acts 14, why don't you turn there, the end of Acts 14... This is the end of this missionary travel, this uh, missionary journey that they're on, the first of three. And we notice what happens when they come back. Again, talking about Paul and Barnabas, verse 24 of Acts 14, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga and went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived they, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. What you see here is in the beginning of the journey, the congregation seeking the Lord in this context of fasting, prayer, and worship, hear from the Holy Spirit, push Saul and Barnabas out the door to do this missionary journey. They lay hands on them, meaning we are commissioning them and commending them to this work. And in some sense, we're identifying with them. We're sending them personally. And then when Paul and Barnabas come back, they give a report to the whole church. Verse 27, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them. Earlier in verse 26, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had filled. There's a sense in which the church as a whole feels a partnership with Paul and Barnabas on their journey. They are working together. Paul and Barnabas are going, but the church is supporting them in prayer. And as they come back to hear report, to be connected to them vitally. And that's what 
by God's grace, Westerly Road, Stonehill, it's been a huge part of this church's history from the very beginning. They have, from the very beginning, supported people who they sent out and prayed and supported financially in prayer and in other ways. This is what the church has to do if it's going to fulfill the mission and the mandate to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world. This is what we are about. What you saw this morning with the Kiernans is what the church, all churches should be about. Taking those that are set apart by God and his grace and by the Holy Spirit and then send them out. But the issue is we don't just want to send them out and say, well, they're gone. See you in three years. I don't know. Where are they? I don't know. East Africa. Where is that? Who knows? Big, Africa's a big continent. So support. It's partnership. It's connection. And it's a lot easier to do it now. When I was a little boy, I, a little boy, when I was a little boy, I'm a teenager. This story is I'm a teenager, but I'm a little boy. Okay, anyway, I don't know why I said that. When I was a teenager, the church in, in Miami that I attended, my dad was the pastor, South Bay Bible Chapel, we also had a number of global partners. And we sent them out, they came back, they gave reports. They were often in my home telling stories of what God did through them and with them out on the field. And I was mesmerized as a kid. My family, we prayed for them often. Of course, back then we had no email. You had to write a letter. Took weeks to get to wherever it was supposed to go. Then we get another letter. It, but it, it thrilled me. And what, what, what was so important for me as a young child to realize God worked outside the city of Miami, Florida. And when you're a teenager, okay, it's very easy to get pretty myopic. You know, what is God doing in my world? But I saw that God was working in lots of places. And that's what we need to be about. Fitzroy, who's an elder, uh, oversees our, our GO team, talked about the Global Connect initiative. In the missions corner, there's a whole bunch of cards. This is John and Stella White, who are trying to get back to the Ukraine, okay? To get back to Ukraine. Um, there's ways to pray for them. There's contact information for their family. Uh, there's birthdays where you can send a birthday card. I would just encourage you, if you haven't done this, go and get a card on the way out and then support this, these families for the next year to the next GO conference, which is next year in the spring. To do your work at a personal level, to partner together personally, to send people to share Jesus to the world. That's what the church's mission is about. And I encourage you, particularly for families, if you do this and connect with these families and hear the stories of what God does, it's a tremendous faith-strengthening exercise for your elementary school-age students and your teenagers to see God working around the world. One last lesson we learned from the church here is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome all kinds of spiritual opposition. Back to Acts 13. Verse 4, we read, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus, not that far away, maybe 100 miles or so from the port there, out of Antioch. 
When they arrived at Salamis, that was on the east side of the island, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This was Barnabas' cousin, John Mark. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, this would be on the southwestern part of the island, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here you have the story. They've gone around, they've preached in synagogues on the eastern part of the island, they've moved to the southwest part of the island to Paphos. They've run into this Bar-Jesus, means son of Jesus. Apparently he's a Jewish false prophet. Apparently he's someone who sort of uh, engages with the dark arts. And he's trying to pull the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, away from hearing the message that he's, he's been preached to. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice that, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He confronts Bar-Jesus. He understands that Satan is behind with the opposition to the gospel there. In verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Very interesting miracle here. Saul was confronted by the ascended Jesus. He was made blind so that he could see. And now Saul, led by the Holy Spirit, confronting this opponent to the gospel has now called down on him this time of darkness, and he's seen the mist. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And when you read a passage like this, I, I, I think if you, if you want to try to take this in a one-to-one correspondence, and anybody who opposes you as you share the gospel, and you want to say the same words that Saul did to that person, like in your workplace, don't call me. No. Obviously, Saul, uh, you know, Paul had this uh, sense from the Holy Spirit, and he confronted that. But I, I think what the lesson here is, when you go and do the Spirit-mandated mission of taking the gospel to the world, you're going to run into people who Satan is involved with who will oppose you. And you don't need to sit here and cower in fear, and you don't need to look at all of the tragedies that are happening and say, oh, this world's falling apart, it's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. We go with the gospel, with the very power of the Holy Spirit who has connected us to the power of the ascended Christ. All authority and power has been given to him, and now that person of the Holy Spirit resides in us. Now, I'm not saying do silly things and and get up and, and, you know, and and, and confront people, you know, unless God really directs you. I have confronted people somewhat boldly, not quite like this, But God has given me a spirit of boldness. But the reality is to keep boldness, to keep witnessing to Jesus Christ, even though there is spiritual opposition. And I think sometimes we cower from doing what we're supposed to do. And we look at the world and we say it's hopeless, when actually, because the world appears hopeless, not simply to us inside this room, it appears hopeless to many people outside the church and outside of Jesus I think we have a massive opportunity to point people to the only person who can deal with the problems that we are facing today in the world. 
So be bold. Don't shrink back. Don't worry how, uh, how powerful the person you may be talking to. God brings Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, to himself. God deals with this, this magician who, who's dealing in the dark arts. And uses Paul, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, to accomplish the mission. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Christ. And that same power resides in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do the mission, which is to witness to those around us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is not the time to cower. Now is not the time to to throw our hands up and say, oh, the time now is to spend a little bit more time praying, fasting, worshiping, understand who and where you need to share the gospel and be a witness of Christ. Now is the time to to partner more specifically to the people from our fellowship who've gone around the world and to support them and partner with them to see the gospel go forth. Now is the time to, uh, to make sure that we at Stonehill illustrate the power of Jesus to unite all things in our multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic congregation, to be a testimony to the power of Jesus to unite all things in heaven and in earth. And it starts in the church, and one day it will be complete when we are around the Lamb of God. Let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, We know that the world is very broken, Lord. We started our service with that. But in spite of the brokenness of the world, you have empowered us by your Holy Spirit to do this work of witnessing to Jesus. I pray that you would help us to live out the diversity and unity in Jesus as a foretaste of what God is doing and what Jesus is doing and what he will do in that scene of every people group around the throne, around the Lamb of God. I pray that we would be vigilant, that we would connect with one another, we would demonstrate the power of the unity that only Christ can provide. I pray that you would help us to partner with those around us who've been sent out by this church, that we would partner with them personally, 365 days a year, encouraging them as they do their work. I pray that you would help us to spend more time worshiping, praying, fasting, so that you would give us individually, but also collectively as a church, the wisdom to know where, when, and who we should be serving and ministering to. And Lord, I pray that we would not shrink back from the forces that oppose you and your gospel, because you have defeated all of them, and you will defeat all of them, and we have the very power of the ascended Christ living inside us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would rely on that power to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.